Hi, everybody. It's Steve True here, and I'd just like to welcome you to the Pico Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the PK Triathlon Podcast. Uh, following on from our last episode where we had a legend of the Ironman and triathlon in Dave Scott. In this episode, Kate and I are joined by an, another absolute legend, to be honest. But I might actually go as far as say a pioneer in the sport, especially from a British point of view. Steve True is one of the best known names in the world of triathlon as a coach, race commentator, broadcaster, journalist... I probably missed some job titles in there. Completed your first ever triathlon in 1993, which I'm going to come back to. <laughs> you journalist writing for triathlon cycling, running magazines. You've had two fictional books published. You've coached at European and world championships. You've been at the last five Olympic Games in various different shapes and forms. You were BBC commentator at the London 2012 Olympics for triathlon and other sports as well. In other words, you've seen it all, really. Welcome, Steve True. Thanks, Paul. So, Steve, I've got to ask, why on earth did you do a triathlon in 1983? Okay. I was, uh, I was a swimmer as a kid. Um, uh, I got into it a little bit late, so I, I didn't really start swimming properly until I was 16, which nowadays, forget it, you ain't even going to make it. But I, I think one of the things there was starting that little bit later, and I kept into it, sw- uh, swam through college, um, and back back in the day in the 60s, like you finish college, you finish university, you stop swimming, you stop running, you've got to get a job, you can't do it anymore. And things were just beginning to change. And I had my uh, my first teaching job in 1969 in North London. And I'd, um, I'd run re- reasonably well at sort of school level, college level, purely on swimming fitness. Um, met this guy. And he was teaching in the same borough as me. And he said, I said, yeah, I used to run a bit. He said, well, come down. And I, um, I got into running, running middle distance. And I did um, reasonably well. I, I got a couple of medals at national championships over 800 metres, um, made a few finals, 1500, things like that. But I was never great. I was never a great swimmer. I was never a great runner. I was good, but, you know, good is good. And then... I just read this thing about triathlon. I'd done the Wolverhampton Marathon, as everybody did back then. You've got to, got to do a marathon. How mad is that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I think it was my second, maybe my third marathon. Uh, picked up a bug somewhere. Uh, couldn't train for a few weeks. And I wanted something to get back to. And it was just beginning. In 1983, there was just this thing, you know, wow, triathlon. And I thought, well, this has got to be great, isn't it? You know, I've swum, I've run. Um, I did a little bit, a little bit of cycling as a kid, did schoolboy national, but again, not to a great standard. And all of a sudden, this was right. It's September. Um, I've got, I don't know what it's, three months, four months to train for it. Yeah, we're going to do that. And that was the story. And Paul Kate, it changed my life, literally. Uh, it was it was the, called the Big K. It was up in Liverpool. Not the nicest area in Liverpool. We, we couldn't find anywhere to eat because all the doors were locked and you weren't let in. And um, that, it was just that little part of Liverpool. I love Liverpool, most of it. Um, <laughs> and, and that was my intro. And it absolutely got me. And I just wanted to read everything. And I was getting triathlon magazine from the States and, you know, re- reading these tiny articles. We get up at seven o'clock Sunday morning, Channel 4 had, you know, I know the, the wild sport of whatever. And there was this, you know, tri- triathlon. Why yeah. look at that? Yeah. So that was it. And I met, um, I forced myself upon a guy called Alec Hunter, who started off, to me, he started off triathlon in Great Britain. He was kind enough to just invite me down to his place and he spent time talking about it and how he got into it and how it was for everybody. I, and that was my intro. That was my intro. I was, I was totally hooked, started training properly. Um, so 1983, the first one, 1984. Wow, I think there were probably about eight or ten races in the whole of Great Britain, and you you saw the same guys everywhere. You know, you go, I don't know, southeast coast one weekend, you're up in Sunderland the next weekend, you're over in Wales the next week because they were all they were, and you you, you made great friends, uh, most of whom I'm still consider myself great friends now, 
and, and it was a little bit, it was, we, yeah, I think you use the word pioneer and that, that's very flash and posy, but we were the first sort of guys doing it. And we all thought we were pretty stupid and pretty mad, but we loved it. Brilliant. Did you do the race at Kielder in Kielder Water? I, the I time try. No, no. Um, my first race was up in Liverpool and I, uh, well, I was Kielder 83 or 84, I can't remember. And that was pretty much middle distance, wasn't it? I think mm. the, oh, just, just totally different. I've got pictures of a couple of friends of mine, 60 mile cycle, wearing plimsolls, training shoes. <laughs> you know, just, and you look now at the technology uh, and I think one of the great things that triathlon has done, the technology that we've come, come through with, and you, you look at the guys in, in track and field now, you rarely see anybody running in what we would have called shorts. They're wearing almost the modified tri-suits, you know? So I think we've done that. And I think there's a lot of knowledge that has come through uh, and, you, you know, crossovers from, from sports all the time through. You learn, you learn, you learn. And for, for me, coming into the sport with a, a little bit of a background in two, and then when I moved into coaching, and again, with a bit of a teaching and coaching background in two, and, you know, trying to say, well, what, what are the same things? What are the differences? It, it, was, it was good for me. It was very, very good for me. And Brilliant. You, you touched on there around, you can, you can still see how passionate you remain in triathlon. And, and it, it sounds like one of the hooks that, that has sustained that passion and, and kept you going are the, are the changes um, can you tell us a little bit about kind of what's kept you kept you in the sport for such a long time and such a big advocate that and continues to, to do so? Well, I think you start off as an athlete, and um, you the things that stop you remaining an athlete, an athlete you either get injured, you get bored, um, you lose a lot. <laughs> get old and there's that sort of things and and you know sad as it may be the majority of people go through that to a to a lesser or greater extent and i it, it I, I suppose the first thing that got me was it, it continued my ability to keep racing as a swimmer things are again different now you, you've got guys like michael Feltz, you know five olympics oh my god uh, that's crazy you know guys winning gold in the mid 30s late 30s that just didn't happen you know you, you stop running at you stopped swimming at 21, 22, 23. Um, running, maybe you kept on. Everything was amateur. You know, the, the guys that I was around um, when getting up to national level, everybody was a teacher or they were a solicitor or they, but they worked, everybody worked. And the world has just evolved o over that now. You know, you could not race as a pro triathlete now. I guess you could without being full time but you've pretty much got to give everything to it. And there is money in it. There was never any money in swimming, never any money in running. You know, with pure amateurs, you know, a good friend of mine was banned for two years because he had a five pound voucher for winning an open swimming gala. Well, yeah, really? Uh, and that's how it changed. So it, it was lovely for me to keep on competing um, in, into the nineties, I suppose, really. And then the knees called up with me and there was that. But it was also lovely to bring in some of the other options, like being asked to do a television programme. Me, the kid from Tottenham on television, what? And writing a magazine and tell us about this and, you know, leading into some of, some of the bigger races when it did start evolving and, and coaching you know, that, that was the lovely thing because there were so many people beginning to come into coaching, but their background was normally either swimming or running or cycling. And you adapt those training sessions and the, the amount of work that you can do as a swimmer is huge compared to what you can do as a runner because the body damage, Paul, you, you, you know all this, but, you know, if we're looking at, say, a, a reasonable swimming session of... 12 by 200 metres front crawl, swim and rest, three minutes, bump. No problem. 12-year-old girls, 13-year-old girls doing that, easily done. Translate that into running. Okay, in terms of time, we're looking at 12 by 800 metres on the track. Oh, 
explosion time. So, so there was that juggling around. And I think, you know, we, we were very much feeling our way to start with. And I, I read a lot about cycling. And my impression of cycling training at that time was, well, you, you stop, you get off the bike at the end of September, you have four months off, and then you get back in February by racing the local 10s and the 25s and the 50s. And then all of a sudden you get guys like Chris Baldwin coming along and they're, they're taking from interval training from track and going, hey, this sounds like a good idea. So, you know, and I think that that was a nice thing for me having a look at that. Um, and, um, you know, that, that sort of, well, we'll learn together. Let's try this out. Let's see what works. Does it work? Yeah. Okay, let's do that again and again and again. Tried that out. Does it work? No, not really. You know, the very beginning, I think everything was focused to distance. Right, you, you're going to do a two-hour triathlon, therefore get in the pool and swim for an hour. That's all. Get on the bike and ride for two hours. Go out and run. Whereas we know interval training, combine it all, you know, the five levels of training that we look at, that, that Coe was using, Ovette was walking, using Peter Coe, Gandhi, those guys. And that just made total sense to me. Now, how can we adapt it? And then how can we juggle that around? So if we're doing a quality run session the one day, then maybe the next day we've got the quality swim and the third day it's a bit of a layback and then the cycling quality day and just juggling, juggling and juggling. Uh, and you, again, now you look, you look at the pro guys, they work 35, 40 hours a week and that's training. It's really interesting. You, you're saying what you were saying and, and listening to you how, how you were saying, yeah, triathlon used to be about going out and doing more and more and more. Um, and it was actually listening to, to, to Dave yesterday and, and other coaches that we've had on in the past have all said, that's how it started. And then obviously if, if they could change anything, that's what they would change with regards to training. And also in terms of the pro scene and, and having a pro scene, how that's changed financially. Dave Scott was saying that there was no prize money until, was it 1986 or something for the Hawaii Ironman? Well, that was um, wasn't it? Because Nice were giving money and, and Hawaii Ironman weren't yeah. giving money. So all the guys were coming over and doing Nice and totally understand that. You know, if you want to make, a living out of the sport that's what you do in terms of how the sports changed over the years in the biggest thing I, I guess one of the big things that's changed is the broadcasting of it and how it's it's now accessible to so many different people in so many different ways um, the bbc do it uh, even if it's not shown live it's shown live on the red button if it's on um i forgot what it's called itu live um you can watch all the all the the ITU races and even the ETU races and some of the, the lower level um, world series. And what's your biggest take? What's your biggest change in terms of how people can access it and how, how have you seen it evolve over the years? Uh, I think the biggest change in mass broadcasting was the Sydney Olympics because um, the, before then I, I started doing some TV work. I, I did a couple of very early, early on broadcasts, just come in and talk about it. And then in, in 1994, I was approached by a company called Grand Slam. And because I'm pretty stupid, I thought it was Grandstand, which was a big BBC thing. A phone call and said, would you please come and work? Would you like to come and work for Grand Slam? I said, yes, please. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll start right now. Um, but we were going out on, um, yeah, the, I say the Sky Channels, but it was there, there were a few other ones. We were going out on that. Uh, and I just thought this was absolutely amazing that I, I could go into a studio, uh, the races have been taped, um, and then we'd see those and we weren't doing them live. And, you know, a broadcast, we would take maybe five, six, seven hours to get out for a two-hour broadcast. But but it was a huge learning process and it was fabulous. And then the um, at the end of that year, I was taken out to Worlds. And, and I thought, my God, they are pay my airfare and they're going to pay me to go to Australia and New Zealand and I think I was just very very lucky to be around at that time uh, and I'm this sounds very posy but having talked for 20 odd years you you learn to speak um, and you learn to communicate and we're doing that and being in, into triathlon relatively early over in this country I think that was you know I just I, it was I was lucky I was the right place at the right time and then with Sydney, uh, all of a sudden, bang, you, you go to the Olympic Games as a sport, you gain credibility. You know, I, I think there was still a, a huge element before the Sydney Games. Oh, yeah, well, triathlon, that's what you do if you can't swim that well. 
oh, you can't run that. Well, yeah, you nearly made it, but, you know, nice try. And there was, there really was a putting down. Now, you go to Sydney, and we were still very new, but all of a sudden there's a respect from the other guys. And um, we, we were sharing the swimming pool there with the GB swimming team. I had a lot of time talking to people like Mark Foster, who I do still keep in touch with, and he says, wow, really? And I'd watch Mark, you know, Mark's session would be maybe two flat-out 50s for a sprinter, and then 625s tethered to a rope. And our guys are getting in and doing a two-hour session. And he's going, wow, that's interesting. So that, that, was our, that was our real credibility breakthrough, and, and BBC started taking it a lot more. And then, of course, with, with London and with what the Brownleys did there, that, that, that changed it. That changed it again completely. You know, we're mainstream with the London Olympics, and we've had two of the guys meddling. Wow. Plus Helen Jenkins, who had she not had the injuries before and told nobody about it at all. Um, you can't take anything away from, from Nikki, of course, but I, I'm convinced that Helen would have been there right to the line. Absolutely convinced. So it was huge. And there were 50,000, 100,000 people around Hyde Park. Wow. That, that's, that's pretty good. Even without Helen, the finish at the, the ladies was uh, Lisa Norton and, and yeah. uh, Nicholas Berg, wasn't it? Diving for yeah. the line together. I think you were there though, weren't you, Kate? Yeah, we were, we were down there. It was, it was amazing, amazing time. And, and, and fantastic to watch as well. You, know, you could see so much of it. Um, a really great atmosphere. I think it, it really tweaked everybody's interest, particularly in this country. Um, from a just a participation perspective, n- never mind those of those of you that were competing at a higher level. Yeah, absolutely. We 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 were sitting um, on the commentary directly above the finish line. There is no way I could separate Lisa and Nicola. I, I mean, just how they managed to do that—it's mm-hmm. wow. Just I don't know. I, I don't know. You know, and they're both. I mean, Nicola. I, I think I've known her since she was about fourteen. She's probably going to her fifth or sixth Olympics next time out. Wow, that's stunning. Yeah. Absolutely stunning. And, and racing for Switzerland on marathon distance as well, uh, pure runner. It, she, she's exceptional. I think the word is awesome. <laughs> Mint. <laughs> you had to get that in there, Kate. <laughs> it was a perfect opportunity, to be honest. It was, it was, yes. <laughs> Nikki Spirig, you are mint. Steve, <laughs> <laughs> um, so you've been you've been coaching for a, a long time, um, and with some really top quality athletes um, as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you got into coaching um, and your coaching career? Okay, um, I think, again, I've been a teacher and I've been a coach and I was coaching swimming, um, coaching some guys on track and field. So it it was sort of a natural progression for me. And I think probably one of the... um, one of the fairly early things, I've been sort of helping people out, but nothing really there. And then we we were in Worlds, uh, we were in Canada for Worlds 1992. And I've been doing a little bit of work with some of the junior team, we were just beginning to develop the system coming through. And um, we were out in Canada and we'd been out for a, a couple of hours on the bike and we were sitting down having a coffee. And it just suddenly dawned that none of these guys were really getting coached. And I said, look, I can do your session if, oh, really, can you, what, what you'll help me, you'll help me. And it was, well, yeah. You know, and, and again, back in the day when I started coaching track and field and swimming, you didn't get paid. Mm-hmm. It was, you did it because you loved it. I think that that whole thing has changed quite rightly. You know, if you're doing a good job uh, and you're getting the results, you know, if you're in business, whatever you're doing, you're successful, you get rewarded for it. So, so that was the initial thing, um, working with some, some very, very talented people, working with people who, who maybe didn't have quite so much talent. But to me, the secret in coaching, if there is a secret, is, is to know the person first. You know, you, you, can't, you can't get a book and go, oh, this is what we're doing. It's what are the strengths and weaknesses? What, what gets somebody injured? What do they like doing? What do they not like doing? What, what's the little trigger that will get them to go through. And I've been lucky enough, I've worked with some people who are in 
extremely erudite and say, okay, well, we're doing, I don't know, we're doing a split run session, a 10 minute race pace, three minute jog, 10 by 30 minute sprint, 30, uh, 30 second sprint, 30 seconds or three minute jog. And then we're going to do increasing demand one, two, three minutes. And some of the athletes have said, why are we doing this? Now, if I don't have an answer, what do I say? Well, because you should. Yeah, right. Forget it. Now, some athletes totally different. Thanks, Steve. We'll do that now. Don't don't even question it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's getting to know the person, first of all, know the person um, and then know the sport and, and know what the trainings are and work out for what works for them. You know, and if it doesn't work, walk away, change it, move the goalposts. The lovely, lovely middle distance running coach who I I, I, had, I adored, a guy called Frank Horwell, who sadly died a couple of years ago. And, and Frank would say, try it and see. If it doesn't work, throw it out the window. And we, um, my coach at that time, every, every fourth Sunday, we'd go to Crystal Palace in the morning, just for a change of venue. And Frank was always down there with his group, a guy called Tim Hutchins, who's now commentating for Eurosport. Mm. Tim got silver at World Cross Country many years ago. And, and Frank was great. And Frank would always want to talk and right, let's sit down. Let's go out for dinner. Let's do this. And he said, he said, I'm experimenting. He said, I'm getting my athletes to breathe through their nose when they're working hard. And we went, oh, OK. And then four weeks later, we went down and he said, those, those guys were breathing through the nose. He said, tried it, didn't work, doing something else. But he was always willing to experiment. And I think that's the thing, you know, try something out. Wow, that really worked for you, didn't it? Let's do it again. Mm-hmm. That didn't work at all. We'll try it one more time. Okay. And, and athletes who use their training diaries properly, they read back, you know, for the majority of people, I still think it's right. Oh, I did this. Let's put it in my training diary. Wow. Look at that. At the end of the week, I ran 70 miles, swam 20,000 meters and cycled. Brilliant. But what were the sessions that really worked? You know, when you have this great race, what were you doing in that six week build up? What were you doing in your taper three days or six days, or whatever, what worked, didn't, what didn't work. And then that's, what that fascinates me just that there's so many different things that you, that you can move around and you know why are some people great from sprint distance right the way through to Ironman where other people bang it's purely Ironman or it's purely sprint distance you know and you, you get guys like well so many of them now but I always think of Greg Welch you know one one ITU Worlds one Ironman you look at Karen Smyers you, you look at the the greats who have done it both. That is sensational. You know, that's like saying to a, a, a track runner, well, yeah, you, you should be pretty good from 800 metres up to a marathon. Excuse me? Hmm, that, yeah. that's interesting. You, you, you're going to have the speed. You know, the top marathon runners now, um, you, you look at Mo Farah runs a 144, 145, 800, but that is at the very top of the game. You know, but so the guys who can do it from one and three quarter hours up to eight, nine hours. That, that's sensational. How do they do it? What's the secret? Talk to these guys. That, that's where you learn so much, isn't it? Talk to the guys who've been there, the athletes, the coaches, uh, the backup staff, what works? Always remember Greg Welch saying to me, we were talking. Um, actually, I think Greg was talking and I was listening. And he <laughs> said, I have a massage twice a week. He said, it, it cost me $100. He said, but it puts me on the top of my game. He says, and sometimes I can't afford it, but it makes me a better athlete. So I'm going to keep doing it. Greg Welch said that, write that down now, you know, so, and that immediately you start bringing in, where's the recovery that we need, not just the pure hard work and, you know, go for 10 days and then have three days out injured or totally shattered. Just looking at it, getting the whole big picture of what works. It, it, still, it still fascinates me, absolutely. It, it is fascinating, isn't it? And how, how coaching has changed and evolved. I think changed is wrong, actually. I think it's evolved over the years mm. and adapted over the years and um, utilising different sports to, to develop. So I know um, there are coaches out there that, that will say something along the lines of if you want to swim well, you do the, the, the big swim sets or the good swim sets and you'll base it off a particular swimmer or you'll you'll go out and cycle and you'll do the big cycling mm. training sessions based off of what a cyclist has done to achieve their goals and it's but it's about i think for me coaching is about balancing all of that so yeah i use i use cycling sessions that 
I know have been sort of fed down from people like Richard Veronk and and Greg Lamond and and people like that who've done those events and then run sessions that you think okay uh, you, you know Mo Farah's done this session or such and such has done this session and it's rolled down but actually you, you break it down and what I'm finding really interesting is listening to to coaches like yourself and to to other coaches that we've talked to and people that I've spoken to through my career is that actually the fundamentals haven't changed a great deal. Um, And we talk, yeah, you know, you talk about how it's changed and how coaching's evolved, but actually the fundamentals are still the same. So particularly things like swim technique, which is something Mm -hmm. I love doing. Um, You know, you talk about certain drills and and they'll go, yeah, we're doing this drill now and it's, it's a new drill and it's this. And you're like, well, yeah, hang on. I was doing that when I was 12, (laughs) the same drill. It's just got a different name. Um, and it's just, it's it's it is fascinating how how coaching has evolved. But I think the biggest thing, as you say, is putting the person first, and so understanding everything that goes around that person as well. Um, uh, and that's something that that I know I do, and I know Kate does. Um, and it, it's it's fascinating to to hear how other coaches sort of dig down into that within within athletes. And um, Steve, this podcast is aimed at sort of beginners and intermediates if you could give three pieces of coaching advice to a, a novice triathlete wow uh, perhaps perhaps taking on their first standard distance we'll pick one we'll go with standard distance what what would three pieces of advice be for you number one think how lucky you are no doubt no doubt think how lucky you are to be doing this you you, you just doing it you're in the top one percent in the world the guys who can actually go out and do this, you know, you are lucky being on the start line. Number two, sometime in the race, you are going to feel pretty damn awful. Get over it. Get over it because you say to yourself, I knew this was going to happen. And after this first five miles on the bike or the first five and a half miles on the run or whatever, you will get (laughs) over it. Okay. And number three, you think you're lucky now? When you finished it, you are super lucky because you'll be looking back and going, wow, tell you what, guys, your turn to buy me a drink because I deserve it. <laughs> it, it oh, this, this sounds so, oh, I, I don't know. Wow, here we go. I might, I might do it. Lucky, just lucky to be able to do it. Privileged. Oh, sorry, everyone. That was <laughs> a little bit <laughs> <bizarre>. Emotional. <laughs> <laughs> although having said that if people are going to buy me drinks i might buy, actually start doing some races <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and that's it as well you know it, it it works and um we choose to be around people who are similar to us in many ways similar to outlook i think uh you know you will you want to be put down go with people who put you down you want to raise yourself up, be around like-minded people, you know, get the buzz going. Um, when, when I was coaching with a, a fairly big squad and we, we get somebody will come, you know, say, oh, oh, Steve, can I, I'd like to come and join your team. Can I kind of come to your squad? And I would ask all the other athletes that, that I was working with and you knew immediately because if it was a bit of a silence, then you thought this person they they don't want her they don't want him for whatever reason and you get one person in the squad who's oh, so why are we doing this oh, i'm not sure about that and so and i'm not saying in any way that athletes shouldn't question sessions mm-hmm. i think that's vitally important i think it's important and and, and a, a little example and this is probably my third or fourth name drop going through but we used to have our um, winter training camps in stellenbosch uh, in South Africa, and we, we'd be down there for nine weeks. Um, and for the, for the coaches, for me and Bill Black and Chris Jones at that time, we would work it as a three week period each, crossing over. So, uh, you know, Chris would be there three weeks. I'd take over for him. We've had a two, two day transition period working all through that. But you've got the athletes down there pretty much all the time. And we would, um, for the, the swimming portion, we'd do uh, six pool sessions a week, one open water session. And the majority of the swimming pool sessions will be between 3,000, 4,000 metres. And then once a week, normally Saturday or Sunday, we do a long session. So we'd be in the water for two hours, a bit more than two hours, and we do 7,000 metres. 
I think, you know, you put that in the session, that's great. Simon Lessim is on the team. You may have heard of Simon. So Simon will come in for the long session. Okay, Steve, what are we doing? And I go, okay, well, this is what I've got written out. So he said, yeah, he said, I, I don't need this really. So I won't, I'll do this bit of the warm up and the, the build set. So Simon will be working out what worked for him. Now, for me, that was an amazing learning experience. I, am I going to stand up and go, excuse me, you've only been world champion six or seven or nine times. You do what I tell you. You, you don't, you know, you say, okay, that, that this works for Simon. He's been there. He's been at the top. He was at the top for a dozen years. My God, you know, so, so that's what works for him. Uh, and if you're working at the other end of it, maybe you're working with, you know, junior athletes just coming through to a very good standard. And there's no way that you're going to give them 7,000 meters to start with, you know. So it is that accommodating, maybe going back to the first thing for me about coaching, know the athlete, know what works for them. For Simon, it worked to do that little bit less on, on the big session because he'd done it as a junior in, um, you know, when he was growing up in SA, you know, he'd done all the long sessions. It was great. They brought him through to the level where he knew what worked for him. And we would do an, I'd stand with Simon and it would say, okay, um, once a week, maybe twice a week, we do a big hill session on the bike and, you know, basic stuff. So, okay, bottom of the hill, it's a five minute climb, um, drift down, do it again. We're going to do eight lots for five minutes, maybe something like that. And Simon will go, that's great, Steve. What cadence are we looking for? Are we sitting down or standing up? Are we having just absolutely working it through? And again, I'm thinking, oh, I thought I'd give you the session. No, I, I hadn't done my homework. You know, there, there's a guy who's teaching me again. I'm thinking, right, you, you're absolutely right, Simon, you know. Um, and then you'd have other people say, okay, fine, off we go and do it. So again, just knowing that athlete well. Oh, that was, that was a little bit emotional as well, wasn't it, Kate? Well, was... <laughs> I'm loving these stories about your coaching. And, and maybe you've already covered it, but what would you regard as your greatest achievement as a coach? Oh, crikey. I, the, the, the immediate thing is getting athletes to... Olympic Games, uh, getting them to top 10 world European medals, things like that. And, and of course, that, that, geez, that, that's a bit of the ego trip coming in. Yeah. Look at me, everyone. I coach her. She's at the Olympic Games. Wow. I'm brilliant. Well, yeah. Okay. I helped, but it's the athlete's talent and the athlete's ability to put themselves on the line that gets it into it uh, and I, I think there is there, there is a, an awful lot of that satisfaction where you see somebody coming through who I don't know gets under two hours 30 for Olympic distance the first ever time and it was three hours before oh and then gets under the magic two hours wow look at that so I think that there's there's huge elements in everything again knowing the athlete, you know, how, how good do you want to be? Because where you are now does not have anything to do with you're going to be in a year's time or five years time. Um, I, yeah, I think with uh, name drop again, I, the, the Olympic athlete, I was thinking about them with Sean Bryce and we started working together in 1996 um, going into the 2000 games. I, I think my two kids were very young at that time thought that we had adopted an elder sister for them because she was there in the bedroom pretty much every, you know, just working through for that. So you, you, of course you do. If, if you want to be successful, you put in an amazing amount of time, but you should still put in an amazing amount of time with, with whoever has committed themselves to working with you as a coach. And, and yes, of course, it's lovely working with athletes of a higher standard, but it's also lovely working with athletes who say, you know what? I trust you. I, I would like you to help me. And that, that, is, um, that is a huge compliment. You know, somebody who trusts you that much? Wow. Yeah. Nice. Just run away, cry a couple and come back. I'm, I'm, at the moment, I'm working with some slightly older ladies. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely adore it. You know, it is wonderful. And they, they still think quite rightly as professional athletes 
they want to get the very best out of themselves that they can. And, and hell, so do I. You know, one of them qualified for Kona two, three years ago. That's huge. That it, qualifying for Kona, it doesn't matter if you're a 25-year-old pro or a 60-year-old athlete who's been, you know, working their backsides off it for eight, 10 years. You go to Kona, I'll, I'll tick that box. You go to Worlds as an age grouper, fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I've, I've read a few articles where you've talked about coaching females um, over males. Can you just share a little bit about your experiences of the differences between the, the different genders in coaching? That's a great question, Kate. Um, I, I'm not sure if I have the answer, but they, I, I think sort of when I started coaching, I was still racing. So some of the guys that I was coaching, I'd be racing against. And you've, you've got the elements there of, of competition right the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, when it, with the women that I was coaching, I wasn't racing against them. So there wasn't that competition. And I, 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 I'm not sure if I'm qualified to answer. I, um, I think... Maybe one of the things I, I'm a, a little bit older. Um, I'm not a threat. That that doesn't that doesn't sound how I meant it to sound at all. It really didn't. Yeah. But I, I no, think I there's there's maybe elements of trust there, um, and, and I think it's again okay, male female, big deal. But the first thing with with, with the girls, ladies, women, whatever that I work with. There's, there's a trust. You're an athlete. So, yeah, it, it's lovely. And But there are... Oh, I'm really not doing this very well. There, there is that trust. There, there, there just is that trust, I, I, I very much hope. But I don't, I don't think it was deliberate, I'm going to coach women, not going to coach men. I think it's just the way it evolved. And maybe at the start, um, when I was coaching a whole, whole bunch of, you know, boys and girls, men and women right the way through... And it just seemed to start developing that there'd be, you know, maybe a couple more girls and then there was another one, another one. And the certainly with if, if, if we're looking at worlds and whatever, I, I've I've had six world champions in various ages from junior right the way through to 65 plus. They've all been women. Now, that, that does not make me an expert on, on coaching women athletes. A lot of it is chance. You know, she had to be there at the right time. I inherited this one. This one we knew was going to do it. Uh, this race just happened. This race was the, maybe the perfect training program going in. Um, but that's, if anything, you know, that's a big negative on my coaching career that I've not had athletes... I've had some, yeah, I've had some guys get up there, but I've only had world champions for, for women. So what am I going to be? Queen of the world? Nah. It, 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 sometimes it happens. Sometimes it just happens. Sorry, Kate, that's not a great answer. I, I, I know you, you were going to write. Well, I think it is a great answer. I think it is actually a great answer because as a, as a coach, I, I'm probably about 60, 40 women to men in my that I coach at the moment and I I suspect for me and and I can't speak for anybody else but but purely for me I think it's the way I communicate and and how I communicate and whether it's community I don't know whether it's it's interesting that I get a lot of communication from the female athletes and possibly and that's not coming from me that's coming from them and then I respond to that and actually, it's, I think it probably comes down to knowing the athlete, going back to what you were talking about yeah. right at the beginning. And I think sometimes my, my, my statement, and I'm probably going to get shot down in flames by Kate here, is I suspect it's to do with how we communicate. And actually, perhaps the ladies are more open to saying about their personality. And sometimes that's a challenge to get through to with the men. Okay. Um, who are more interested in sort of doing the absolute best that they absolutely can all of the time. Um, whereas the women are a bit more open to, do you know what? 
I'm not quite feeling it. I need to ease it up. Uh, I've got this going on. And they'll be, they'll be quite transparent about that sort of thing. Um, but who knows? I think, I think every, every coach is different. Every athlete is different. And I'll, I'll stand by that forever. Um, but I think you're right. It's about just, it's just everything's just different. They just talk. What works? What works? If exactly. Works for me coaching girls, women. Great. I'm. I'm not going to go. Oh dear. I'm a male coach. I should be coaching men. You go. Oh, how disrespectful would that be? Nah. Nah. It's not going to happen. Okay. Right. <laughs> Sorry. It's my turn to ask a question. Okay. Shall we move on? <laughs> we'll go on. I tell you what. Don't ask difficult questions, Kate. <laughs> An interesting question. I think. It was, it, honestly, it was a top question. It was a really interesting question. Wow. Yeah. Here we go. Um, it was a, you've been a team manager as well for Team GB. Tell us a little bit about your experiences as a team manager, both, I, I believe you've done this at elite and age group level. So it'd be quite interesting to hear how you felt. Yeah. It's, um, the, I, I think for team managing, uh, I, I, sort of early days, it was very much crossover on. Uh, being a coach, being a team manager, because there weren't that many people around. And, you know, are you available? Can you go? Can you do this? We, we, we got much, much more professional. And um, I think my, my last sort of world-level team manager's job was with Wales for the Commonwealth Games, which was, crikey, two, 2006. Yes. And I, I, the important thing to me for being team manager is make the athletes comfortable, what can I do to help you? I'm not going to go around saying you must do this, you must do this. Um, but but it's to be, you're not important. The team manager's job is to make the athlete as comfortable as they can be. And it was, that was, okay, you're okay. Do you want to sit down for a coffee? Bon. Um, I was not going around every night going, okay, Here's your schedule for tomorrow. Boom. You, you do that as much as you can informally. At, at sort of pro level, elite level, it, it's maybe easier if there's an age group manager because you're dealing with, you know, Commonwealth Games, we were dealing with six athletes, maximum three men, three women. Uh, even going to, to world, you're probably dealing with six men, six women at absolute most. If you're working with the age group team, then you've maybe got 30, 50 you know, with, with the Brits, you maybe got 80, 100 athletes on the team. And then it almost has to become even more, it becomes more formalised because, okay, we've got a team meeting. You, you've got to be there because we can't be going over again. And then you're, as TM, as team manager, you're being called in to go to the team manager's meetings and the protocol. Um, we, we had a, one of the things, um, our um, sponsors on one of the team uniforms at, at pro level was the wrong size. So my major job for two days was getting all the uniforms, finding out a printers in Melbourne that we could go to who would manage to take them off, put on the new logos at a much reduced size without losing the efficiency of the, um, of the, the team kit. You know, if you're, you're wearing swimming and you've got these big bloody ridges maybe coming up and you know what it's like at top level. You come out seven seconds down, bang, you've lost that pack out of T1. You know, so it was really working through. And that, that, was, um, that was good. And, and again, age group, as someone says, oh, you know, my kit doesn't fit. Okay, that's your job. You know, what, what, are, the, what are the relevant phone calls? What, what do you need on the laptop? How am I going to get through? I've got to get, I've got to get a vest sent out in the next 48 hours or we miss the start. So it's um, number one rule team manager, don't panic. <laughs> number two, if you do panic, don't let anyone know. Number three, if you're going to cry, go somewhere quiet. That's all. And take the hanky. <laughs> well, I'll get that done. Don't, don't, no problem. I think one of, one of the nice little cliche things that I learned was if someone said, look, I, I, am, I need so-and-so, so-and-so. And this is a team manager as a coach. And, and if you don't know, you say, look, I don't know, but I'll find someone who does. And they go, wow, that's, that's nice. You know, be honest. Because if you promise something, you don't come through with it. You're dead and gone. Yeah. 
didn't did they did they uh, there's there's two parts to my my next question well there's not even a question it's sort of an evolved evolution of the conversation the thing with the sizing didn't they change the rules shortly around that thing where they start they changed how they measured it so it was measured yeah. on the costume before an athlete started wearing it and i vaguely recall my, one of my first experiences as gb age group i think it was in madeira possibly okay. I vaguely remember that a new CEO of British Triathlon running around trying to sort out the kit because none of the kit had arrived for the age group team. And this is, this is a one of the world. So I can, I completely can see how you had to deal with everything. Um, and I, I, I still, to this day, can't remember how, how quite they got it sorted out, but yeah, it was really, really quite cool. So anyway, I'm going to let Kate ask the next question. Watch out, Steve. It, it could be really complex. <laughs> no, I'll keep it. I'll keep it simple. You've written a number of books. And you write for a um, number of magazines and Triathlon Plus, is that right? Yeah, Triathlon Plus were very good. They, they were, they, 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 they pretty much gave me, okay, what do you want to write about this, Steve, this month, Steve? And, and that was lovely. We, there were a couple of things I said, look, may, maybe come off of that, but it, it was nice. Um, and I, I adored it. I, I absolutely adored it. And then sadly, I think they were taking over maybe four years ago. And I... Um, I miss that, and I got. I, I don't know if you're on Facebook, or whatever, but I, I I I do stuff on Facebook. Um, with some of the old pictures and and some of the bits and pieces of writing, and this this is almost a substitute for me for for writing for the magazines. And it's you know I love God. This is so egotistical, but you know somebody. I, I did a photo. I did a picture today of uh, Iona Winter, Jamaican lady girl who I coached for a few years. She went to the Sydney Games. Um, she won the uh, Central America and Caribbean cycling road race. Mm. I, I adore her. So absolutely beautiful. That's not meant to be sexist. She just was beautiful. My daughter would just sit there and look at her and she would stroke Iona's face. Uh, and she was really funny and she was personable. And um, so this went up and, you know, and then Jessica Harrison, who was on the French team for a couple of the Olympics, and she came back and she said, yeah, I remember I own. I met her in Cancun in 1995. She's a real cool lady. Now, that, that's like giving me $10 or, or I'm watching the opening credits of Baywatch or something. You know, it's like, oh, wow, this, this makes me really happy. I, I can do this stuff. And this, I mean, God, triathlon is such a new sport, but we've already got the nostalgia coming through there. And, and I love writing i get off on writing um i'm i'm working on my my third novel at the moment if you can promote this use guys we, we were in for a big fix here but just, just writing you know <laughs> long days dying a moment of suffering and you, you you get these characters and then they take over and i'm going no well jerry wouldn't do that boo wouldn't do that and you know th this whole thing going through um, and, and it's lovely, and it, it's now my hobby as, as such, but it, it's something I really enjoy, and yeah, God. So, so what, <laughs> what's the new book then, Steve? My new book? Mm. Uh, my new book is available on, it's um, working title is The Sun God. The Sun God. And it's again running triathlon orientated, and as of this afternoon, we are 11,000 words in. Yes, so when do we expect to be able to... Buy that at your local independent retailer as well as the other major. Um. Uh, <laughs> um, I've got, I've got a, a great copy reader, Chris Mauer, and she's doing it chapter by chapter. And if I, I it, it's great for me because it keeps me on schedule. I would, I would like to think that the latter end of this year, you know, the, the big deal, you, you look for the Christmas market, but um, we'll see. We'll see if I have a writer's block. <laughs> no, I'm sure you won't. We shall see. We shall see. Can I, can I just can I just jump in? I'm just going to say, go back to his his post from today with Iona, and and say, you know, if Jess Harrison came on and commented something like that on one of my posts, it would be more than ten quid. Because <laughs> <laughs> she she was she was one of my like icons when I was sort of I guess racing rather than coaching and sort of oh. followed her career because she was GB and then went to France yeah, yeah. yeah. and she, am I right in thinking I think it's Maku wetsuits and swimming costumes and stuff now uh, I 
think so. Yeah. So I, I yeah. since she was about fourteen years old, and 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 that's a lovely thing as well. Like these these little kids that I knew who are now. Uh, I hope I'm not going to disrespect you, Jess, but maybe 40 or, you know, get, getting around there. Um, and it, isn't it still lovely to be friends? You know, that, that again, if we not just triathlon, but all the sports that you know, all my mates are based around sport. That's just what, you know, we, we do, a, we do a training camp pool and you do loads of training camps. I only do a couple of year now. Um, but we, we do one in Italy in May, the average age, I can't even say last year because we weren't able to hold it. The average age the year before was over 50. Now, now to me, that is fabulous that you're going away for a, a two week party with your mates and we'll just throw in a bit of swimming and cycling and running. And oh, quick, it's six o'clock out of the last swim session. Everyone goes and showers, has quick feedback on the swimming and you're on a glass of wine at seven in the evening. And we, we, we get... We get a couple of the pros coming down with us as well, and they are maybe a little bit more disciplined, maybe not. But there's just the lovely environment that we're lucky enough to be in. You know, I'm going on holiday with 30 of my mates for two weeks, and I'm going to get down in the bar at seven o'clock, and someone's going to say, white wine, Steve? <laughs> or you maybe get down there first, and you get landed with the next 10 drinks. because, but, but Yeah, don't get down there first. That, that was one of my first ever lessons in a, in a training camp. Don't, don't get to the bar first. Yeah, uh, yeah we, were, we were lucky as well, weren't we, last year, Kate, when we were, we were literally in the bar and Paul and Newby Fraser walks in yeah. um, and came into the Q&A with us. So it's like, okay. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I understand what you're saying about your friends. Are sort of, uh, it's really weird because my athletes are almost, almost my mates. Yeah. They're not quite my mates, but they're almost my mates. And in, and in many cases, they become your mates. Um, and yeah, the, the sport has given me so much over the years. I think I can't remember how many countries I've been to see, but all through triathlon and, and stuff like that. So yeah, lots of um, lots of positives to come out of the sport, apart from the lifestyle itself. Go on then. <laughs> I'll ask the question. You ask the last one. Uh, uh, speaking of BBC, you commentated on the Olympics at 2012, not just in triathlon but in, am I right, in the, was it the marathon and then Paralympics as well? No, I did the, um, for, for the Games, I did the uh, open water swimming, which I've got a, a little bit of background and knowledge. I've done uh, some of the great swim series for, for UK. So that, that was good. And I'd worked with Colin Hill, who was the organiser for that. So that was lovely. We did the, um, the swims there. And then um, I think it was two weeks before the Games, I was down to do the triathlon uh, for TV and I was doing the open water swimming, the live stuff, uh, PA, whatever. And I got, got, just got a phone call, random phone call. And it was, oh, oh hi, Steve. It's so-and-so uh, uh, head of BBC Sport. And, oh, uh, okay. He said, now, um, I know you know a lot about race walking. And I went, excuse me? I said, um, I, no, I don't really know too much about race walking at all. And he said, well, Paul Dickinson says that you are ever so good at race walking. <laughs> and Paul Dickinson also was commentating for BBC, a lot of track and field. But we were in the, uh, the same uh, track and field club, Enfield Harriers together. And a great, great man, Paul. So I said, look, I, I said, I don't know very much about race walking, but if you would like me to do it, I will do my homework. And he went, hmm, I need 24 hours to think about that. And so I got the phone call back and he said, right, you're doing race walking. Oh my God, learning curve was like that. It was like, you, you get the book, get the IAAF book, and I'm looking, I'm trying to get down names, I'm learning all this. And um, fortunately for the, uh, the, the first one, uh, Paul and I were doing it between us. So we got that. And with, as I think, as, as similarities to marathon running, similarities to triathlon, the big deal on spotting the athletes is right at the start so with triathlon you know okay they're going to get in the water you know who's going to be in the lead pack on the swim for the men and women you know and you're just desperate and you've got the hats there to help out with that same with the marathon you know who's going to be there okay and they establish that group and you've got the 10 or the 12 in the marathon the you know the first four five six in the swimming same triathlon there and you juggle around now, for me, for race walking, like, who do I look at? And so I'm looking, and it's, uh, it's the, uh, the Chinese, 
it's the Mexicans, it's the Russians. Do your homework, Steve, do your homework. And for the women's 20K, there were two Chinese girls and one was called Su Lui and the other one was called Sui Shuli. And this is going to sound awful and I really don't mean it to. They both had incredibly similar builds, all race walkers. Race walkers make middle distance runners look fat. I mean, that you know, they, they're just nothing of them. And I've got these names on the front, Sui and Sui. And I'm thinking, oh, do not mess this up, Steve. Do not mess this up. And I, just, and I was doing this one by myself. Paul was, um, it was Super Saturday. And, and Dicko, Paul had gone over to the track and I was going over later on. And, and that was like, oh, wow. Thank you, God. You let me get away with it. <laughs> it was one of those. But, but great fun. And the, the open water swimming, I, I'd done a, a quite a before so I, I i knew who i was looking for and knew what the tactics were likely to be everything but but yeah pretty pretty steep curves you, you don't mess up at the olympics do you not on live tv can you imagine no no you don't want to do you and and i guess i guess from a i remember watching oh dude, i will remember watching that race the, the men's triathlon and, and the women's triathlon to be fair um and the whole the way the race was delivered and, and how it sort of came through and um, how the Brits sort of set it up for Alistair predominantly, but Johnny was there as well. And, and then Johnny got his silly penalty and in the women's race, you know, Nikki and Lisa were sort of diving for the line and uh, Helen, Helen was sort of with the leaders for as long as she was Yeah, with, with, you know, we, <sighs> Yeah, it was. It was just. I'll, I'll never forget the speed that Alistair went out of T two, um, and I'm thinking he can't keep that up. But he did, and you, at the time you knew it was going to be Alistair, Johnny, and and Javier, and the three of them were just phenomenal that entire race. How how did it feel commentating? What was the crowd like in terms of the the atmosphere and and stuff going on in the race as well? Pretty cool. It's pretty scary. Again, do not mess this one up. Uh, and and I think the um, so I I love Helen Jenkins to bits. And, and you know, if Helen ever sees this, I uh, my admiration for her. Oh wow, you know when when she won worlds over in Canada twenty oh I don't know twenty seven two thousand yeah 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 she did I, um, I, 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 awful weather. Um, I've I've known Helen since she was fifteen or sixteen. I've known Mark her husband, and I knew that she'd been injured. I knew that she'd, you know, had this injury and was carrying it going through, but I could not, excuse me, I could not betray the confidence or the trust to say anything like that. That would have been so unfair. And I was willing, willing, yeah. willing her to come through. And she went out on the run. She looked great. And she finished, was it, was it fifth, Paul? I think she was fifth. in. I was going to say fourth, but it could have been fifth. But yeah. Phenomenal performance. You know that 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 was it was it was great again watching watching Nicola and Lisa, um, but but Helen's performance that day, wow, that that was sensational. And and with Alistair, we we reckon he went out on that first eight hundred around two four two six. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, it was it was it was mad. <laughs> and, and it was it was, I mean London. It's my my hometown. Everything. It was great there. It was, wow. And I, and I have to say as well, London was great. Sydney, first Olympic Games. That, that was really, really special. Wow, that, that was really special. I, first day of the Games, it was, look around. Look, I'm, I'm here. I'm really here. I don't deserve this. Yes, you do. Okay, well, yeah, but I don't really. And it was lovely. Again, you know, the kid from the back streets of Tottenham, Sydney Olympic Games, please. So that's what else I'm dreaming. I'm dreaming. Hmm. It's a good finish in both of those as well, wasn't it? With oh, uh, Simon Whitfield coming through and then uh, Mikaeli Jones I, just getting pipped. I've met Simon in, uh, we, we had an IOC ITU solidarity camp in Cancun in Mexico in 1995. And I was working with, um, uh, I was coaching there with a, a German coach. And a very, very good friend of mine from Canada. So we, we had this, uh, we had a room together. 
beds and we're working with a lot of junior athletes, Simon Whitfield, an athlete, a junior athlete at that time. Iona was there as well uh, as coaching. First time I met Iona. Anyway, this kid from Canada, can you believe? 18 years old, turned up two days late. Simon Whitfield, no room for him. He's in the room with our three coaches. You know, so, so I got to know Simon really well. And he was such fun. And um, for him to be Olympic champion, and it was a guy that I knew. And that finish as well with Steph. Wow, that, that was sensational. Last 200, last 300 metres before they went. Amazing. And my, my other big memory of that, of course, Sean Bryce, who had been working with and, you know, Sean was in great form and then, then had the bike crash with Carol, uh, Carol Montgomery and uh, Mariana Aharta. And I, I'm in the commentary box with Mark Dragan and we'd known each other, raced against each other back in the 80s. And Sean is laying there like she cannot get up. And, and Mark Dragan said to me, said, Steve, you want to just step outside for a minute or so? Which was probably the best thing, you know, and you just think all that work, an athlete like Sean, like any Olympian, has put in so much work and it's taken away from you. And Carol and Mariana, you know, touching of wheels, they're down and it's gone. It can happen to anyone. Iona, um, the, on Facebook today, Iona had an absolutely brilliant swim. She, she'd swum at a very good level. Um, she came out in the lead pack, out of transition. She's going up Macari Hill, got out the saddle and her shoe slipped out the pedal and they're up a hill like that. So he, she had to get off and remount because it was on the hill. And that's it, race gone, just like that. You know, so all that work, everything you've done, everything the athletes have gone for, it's taken away for no fault of their own. So if you get lucky, just say, thank you, God, I got lucky. Thank you very much. You know? And if who happens sometimes, doesn't it? Optimistically, <laughs> it does. You were just talking about Simon Whitfield there, and if I think back, and I'm thinking, I'm thinking of all the races that I can think of with Simon in, and I'm thinking you got Sydney where he, he came from behind in that in that last sprint, and then you got Beijing where he was involved with what was it, Fredano mm-hmm. and uh, the the other German guy, uh, Junger, uh, Lunga, something like that. Anyway, and then I'm also thinking he, he was involved in that. Brad Carlevel sprint for the Des Moines race. And, and I'm, I'm like, he's always involved in the ones I remember are always the ones where he's had to do something dramatic in the last few meters. But yeah, Simon had such a running style. It just, so it's, it's almost one of those perfect technique when he was flying, he was really good. I think, I think it was Chris McCormack and he said, Simon showed us how to run. Yeah. And uh, if that's coming from Macca, that, that's what one hell of a compliment that really is. You know, and he, he well, it, I'd I, I commentate a race in Toronto uh, and it was Simon and it was Chris McCormack and, and that was great. And they were just duking it out right, right the way through. Well, yeah, great times. God, we yeah. were lucky. We are lucky. You've, you've clearly been all around the world, seen lots of races in lots of different places. If you could pick one event that our listeners should put on their bucket list in one in a country, what event would that be, and where should they go? You only get one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say that we're, we're talking about the new guys coming in, yeah? We're yeah, talking, the new guys coming in. Right, I, I think this is going to surprise you. I, I, I hope. There is a race in Northern Ireland right on the border it's a swimming pool swim the cycle goes over the border from north to south and it's called the liam ball the liam ball triathlon it's in derry derry stroke city london derry yeah but the irish have a word which we all know called the crack it is fantastic i've been there i've been there as an athlete i've been there as a team manager a coach uh, I, I, I love it. I love the people, the guys I work with, Desi McHenry, Peter Jack, Derry City Council. It, if, if you want to really enjoy a race, take it all in. That's the one to do. Well, one year I was racing and I think we had, it's 25 metre pool and the lanes are pretty damn narrow. And I was in, I think there were 12 of us in there. So I'm thinking this is going to be really interesting. And all the guys said, 
oh, Steve, you lead out, you go first, we don't want to get in your way. What? Is this just like, we will, I, I just thought that was amazing. The, the friendly race, everybody goes to the pub in the evening, everybody goes out for a meal together. You know, it, it used to be one of the, our home countries international. So you, you've got Ireland, Scotland, Wales, England, and you've, it used to be, have a, you've got to have a veteran, you've got to have a junior, and, and it's the greatest fun. It's the absolute greatest fun. For, for other races in the world, I know you said Paul only won. I know London's fantastic, of course. Mm. So when it's back on again, hopefully, you never know, This it'll be sold out with all our listeners, hopefully. Steve, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on talking today and listening to you. And uh, I, I've loved every minute of it. And, and all, all, all my triathlon memories are sort of flooding back. But just to finish off the sort of podcast, in three words... Without using swim, bike, or run, can you describe triathlon? A total epic. That's pretty damn good. That's good. I like that. I'll give you another. That's good. If I may. Change my life. Change my life. Yeah, really did. It does change people's lives. I've now got a career in triathlon. I've actually been working in triathlon for a for, <laughs> a long time and I've enjoyed, I, I wouldn't change anything and I love what I do and I can't see myself working outside of it or without having some sort of link into it in the future it's an amazing sport when you think it's only been around for a few years fabulous yeah gen- genuinely it changed my life Steve I'm, I'm conscious we've, we said it would be about an hour we're an hour and 20 already and we haven't quite finished yet um, but it has been an absolute honor and, and a pleasure to have you on and uh I've loved every minute. I love the positivity and the passion that comes across. Um, so thank you very, very much from myself and, and Kate as well. She's uh, giving the thumbs up. Thank you.